The following audio is from Crossroads Baptist Church in Marshall, Texas. To find out more information, find us on Facebook. Wow, what an awesome, awesome opportunity. And there's more of you awake than there was at 8 a.m. this morning. (laughs) Time change. I wish it was all one time and it never changed. But, uh, you know, I don't get a vote in that. So that's sort of the way it goes. Well, I, between services, was talking with James, about all the great preaching y'all have had during this interim time, and you've heard it, it's the oldest joke in the world, but I feel like the farmer back in Kentucky that put his mule in the Kentucky Derby, and his neighboring farmer looked at him and said, man, you don't have a chance of winning. He said, oh, it's, I know that. He said, just think of the company that mule will be in. And so uh, I get to be the mule and in great company with all of these men. And Rod Masteller is coming as your interim. Uh, Rod is a really neat guy. You're going to love him. You're going to have a good time during that time. And so uh, thank you for the privilege of being here with you today. My wife Cheryl uh, on the front row. She slept in this morning. And uh, I, I insisted she do that. And I went to get her between services. So Now that our children are out, you know, we've got 48 years marriage and 45 years in ministry and four children. We hope for more years of marriage. We hope for more years in ministry. I'm still full-time at my workplace, but um, we're sort of finished having kids. So we leave that right where it is, you know, and just, you know, put put a little pause right there and actually put a big old exclamation point. But thank you for letting us come and be a part of this wonderful service this morning. And uh, we have absolutely worshipped, James, as you have led us. And uh, the singing with your daughters, phenomenal, phenomenal song. So I want to tell you a story. There was a time, and there were two men. One of them was a part of a religious movement. He was on the conservative end of religious things, and, uh, and they dressed a certain way. They uh, wore certain kind of clothes. They did all that kind of stuff. Very conservative religious movement. And uh, there was another fellow, and he was sort of uh, not well respected. He, he was actually a crooked government worker. Imagine that. And uh, these two men both went to church, and one of them, the Religious man in the religious movement, he eased up to the side, he walked down, he sort of stayed aloof from the people, but he got to where he could see and be seen. He got in that position where he could look back and see who's looking at him and he could be a poser if he needed to or whatever just to make sure that he was seen. Very religious. and Part of his religion was your religion was outward because of all of these things. And then Uh, The other guy, the crooked government worker, walked in. He was sort of uncomfortable in church, to be honest with you. Uh, It hadn't been much. This was a very special day. And he walks in, he sits in the back, and he just sort of keeps out of sight and away from people, and he sits down. And at a particular time in that worship service, it was prayer time, and it was okay for people to pray out loud. And so the real religious guy stood up, turned his body to make sure everybody was looking at him, and in a loud voice, he began to pray, Oh God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men. I'm not an adulterer. 
I'm not a thief. I'm not this, that, and the other. What I, I give you tithe of everything I own, and I fast twice a week, and, and uh, Lord, I especially thank you that I'm not like this crooked government worker. And the old government worker sat in the back, and he wouldn't look up. He just sort of looked down, put his hands like this, just beat on his chest. And he said, oh God, be to me a mercy seat, the sinner. And the fellow that first told the story said, now which of these two went home right with God? And the crowd he was telling it to was in the first century and his name was Jesus. And I just brought it up to date for us, but in Luke 18, I'd like you to open your Bibles there. And I want you to get the setting. This, this was a worship time in the temple. It may very well have been on one of the high feast days because of everything going on. And some scholars believe that it was. But in chapter 18 of Luke's gospel, in beginning with verse 9, let me read a few verses. As Jesus told the story. And it's interesting that Jesus told the story to people who trusted in themselves that they were right with God. And listen to what... Uh, the Bible says, Luke says in verse 9, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, it's interesting to note the characters. Let's start with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were that religious group in Jesus' day. They'd been in existence for 400 years. They were people who were very conservative in the religion of Israel. And what they had determined was because Israel went into captivity for violating the Ten Commandments and Babylon carried them into captivity, when they came back, they set about to make certain that that never happened again. So they began to add rules and regulations to the original Ten Commandments. By the day of Jesus, and these were all called fence laws, and by the day of Jesus, they were there 613 fence laws to enforce the original Ten Commandments. And people respected the Pharisees, but they were scared of them. Religion will do that to you. You know, if you don't have a good dose of Jesus... And all you've got is just religion. It'll scare you to death. It'll beat you to death. When you fail, you'll be ostracized and pushed aside. Religion will do that to you. If you look different, if you act different, you've got to fit the norm. Because, see, even sometimes in church life, we add to what the Bible says. If you're going to be right with God, you've got to look like us. 
And whatever us is and wherever it is, it's the way it works a lot of times. There were other groups in Jesus' day. There were the Sadducees. They were the liberals. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in the miracles. They, they were out there into social works. But they were just as judgmental as the Pharisees. And then you had the zealots. They were the politicians. They were the political leaders that sought deliverance from Roman tyranny. The Essenes were that devotional monastic group that sort of lived aside, lived in caves. And you had all of this mixture in Jesus' day. And here this tax collector was a guy considered a traitor to his country. He was a Jew. But he had sold out to Rome and got a job working for Rome collecting taxes. And if I were the tax collector and old James was a Jewish citizen, he would owe Rome so much money for his taxes. But if I could get more out of him than what he owed Rome, I could pocket the difference. And these guys raped the people financially. They were horrible. Now, when Jesus tells a parable, he's doing it for a purpose. All of the parables that he told, they're stories. They're stories to illustrate a point. And when Jesus is telling that to the religious leaders, to his disciples, there's always a twist that's different than what the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the lawyers, and all of those would look at in the scribes. There was always a twist. There was always a hook in it to bring them to a different conclusion than what they would have come out of their grid, out of their background. And you see, out of their background, they may have looked at this differently, and they would have looked at it differently. They would have had no problem with that Pharisee. They would have had no problem with what he thought about the tax collector. But Jesus wanted to make two points in this. One is to demonstrate the character of God that no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, God loves you, and if you will come to God God's way, God will accept you. Because with God, there's no difference. And he wanted also to illustrate the point, not only of the character of God, but the way to God, what true righteousness is. And I want you to see for just the next few moments as I walk through this, and and I'll be all over Scripture, so don't try to turn in your Bible. I understand they're doing a a DVD or a CD or something of this, and you can get it on recording and look at the verses. And if you email me, I'll send them to you. Not a problem at all. But here in Jesus' day, this arrogant, aloof, condemning group of people thought they were so righteous. And in the basic story, it's the contrast between self-righteousness and God's righteousness. And what you have is two men go up. The Pharisee stands and prays five things. The tax collector stands and prays one thing, and two men go down. Now, what do we learn from this? One is that we are not saved by our righteousness. No matter how good it is. You know, I grew up in the mountains of East Tennessee. I don't know that I was ever told this, but I thought it. I thought it. I thought that Southern Baptists were the only true way to God. I did. I did. My parents never said that. But I was taught in church and I was taught everywhere else. And the way it was taught, I got the idea that we're the true ones. 
Now, my wife came out of an Irish Catholic background. You talk about pagan. You know where we met? I didn't want to tell this when the kids were growing up. I love telling it now. In the town where her hometown and where I lived was on the police department for a while, there, there were a lot of places where 18 to 25-year-olds, just like today, you could go and, and you could drink alcohol and uh, you could uh, dance and listen to bands. And we met at one of those places. I looked into her baby blues and she had me. Took me a month to convince her that she really wanted to go out with me. In thinking of her in those early days and in times, uh, you know, I hope you don't know this, but there are some places where uh, politics and religion cause fights. And, and so there was a lot of talk sometimes about religion. And I, I remember sometimes having the thought, you good old Southern Baptist, you've made your obligatory profession of faith when you were 11 years old. I need to tell these folks how to get right with God. And I wasn't right with God. I was doing the same thing they were doing. I was in the same place they were in. And it took the convicting power of the Holy Spirit to show me that just because I was in church, just because I'd been baptized, just because I'd made a profession of faith, just because I was a member of the church, as good as those things are in the proper sequence, that did not make me right with God in and of themselves. And that's where this publican was. His heart revealed his arrogance, thinking he was better than others. In fact, when Jesus encountered the religious leaders in John's gospel, he said these words to them, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me, and you are unwilling to come to me so that you may not, so that you may have life. He didn't argue that scripture was not authoritative or inerrant. He was simply pointing out to them That carrying a Bible under your arm wasn't enough. That that Bible talked about Him. That Bible talked about His righteousness, God's righteousness, and pointed us to Him. And so much so that He said earlier in John's Gospel, if you believe Moses, you would believe me. In other words, if I read and believe this book, I'm going to believe Jesus. It's an age-old problem. We trust ourselves. We lift ourselves up by our bootstraps everywhere. Tragedies of floods, shootings, whatever it is, God has given us the capacity to rebound, and we do, and we lift ourselves up, as we say in Texas, by our own bootstraps. And it's really easy for us to get that into every area of our life. But when it comes to the God life, that's not enough. That's not enough. Our goodness will perish with us. You see, the problem sometimes 
It's like the psalmist said in Psalm 50 and verses 16 through 21 is the context. But writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the psalmist said these words that God had inspired him to say, you thought I was just like you. Now really, folks, isn't it easy for us to think that heaven's just going to be a glorified worship service? When we meet God, he's going to be a big Baptist. He's really like us. He's just better than us. And so Paul, who studied both Hebrew and Greek and was a Jew trained under the school of Gamaliel, one of the great religious rabbis of his day, a great teacher of scriptures. The apostle Paul converted to Christ on the Damascus Road, met on Mars Hill with people who were totally outside religion at all, except for the pagan religions. And he looked at them and he gave them some conclusions. And for Paul, he summarized it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit like this, that God created all people. It doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter where they are. God created all people. God created the skin tones. God created uh, everything. He spread us out through the whole globe. And yet he made the whole world of humanity of the same blood. And he made us in his image. But we've sinned. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And and as he wrote that, he wrote that in these last days, God commands us to repent and turn to Jesus. In other words, we're walking away from God. And repentance means you're walking your own way, your own direction. And and you stop and realize, I'm headed the wrong way. And you turn 180 degrees and you embrace Jesus and you come to him. Our works, our religion won't save us. But the second thing Jesus wanted us to learn out of this is that we are saved. We are made right in God's eye by faith. By grace, by God's grace through faith. Old Testament to New Testament, saved the same way. Now why did Jesus tell this story? Verse 9, he tells us he told it to some who trusted in themselves. I want to ask you a question this morning. This mule has come all this way to ask you this question. If you were to stand before God today and he were to say to you, what are you depending on to get you into my heaven? What would your answer be? See, your answer really would be the first thing that popped into your mind just a moment ago. And for some of you, it's, I don't know. For some of you, it would be, I did this, I did that, I did that. But you check yourself. Did you answer that question based on something you did? In and of yourself to please God? Or did you answer that based on what God did to give you grace in Jesus Christ? See, that very answer tells you whether you're saved or not. Because here in this passage, Jesus, before he went to the cross, 
is pointing out because what was likely happening, this was probably one of the days of atonement and, and this tax collector as well as the publican sat in temple. It's why the tax collector would go. It's why people come on Easter that don't come any other time of the year. There's just something about the religious that, that you you got to get there on certain holidays. Christmas is one of those. And, and this was probably the high day of atonement. And, and here was this tax gatherer and here was this publican. All in the same worship place together. And they were preparing the lambs to be slain because they would slay the lamb. They would take the blood and they would the priest would go into the mercy seat, into the second curtain beyond the veil and he would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat that was the altar that God had given to Moses and and had been kept for many many years and there was a symbolic uh, one like it And, and the blood would be sprinkled on that and the people would trust in that and God would pass over because that Passover lamb had been slain he would pass over their sins for another year. There were other things to it, but this tax gatherer was watching that. And he knew the priest was going to take the blood into the mercy seat. And as he knew that, when he prayed, he said, God, be to me a mercy seat. God, be my mercy seat. Be atonement for me, Lord. For me. It's as if he was praying, yes, everything that publican said about me is true. I am a swindler. I am a sinner. In fact, the text in the Greek language of the New Testament, it is not a sinner, but it is the sinner. The sinner. And he said, what's that blood shed? Our minds. Ask why. When Adam and Eve first sinned in the garden against God, they realized their barrenness and they put fig leaves. They made fig leaves their own efforts to stand in the presence of God, clothed. And God slew the animal and put for them skins of clothing. When Abraham was to sacrifice Isaac, God gave to Abraham a ram in Moses' day. He told Moses, I'm visiting in judgment and here's what I want you to do. I want you to slay the lamb and I want you to put it on the doorpost at the top and on each side. Every home in Egypt and when I pass by, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. You trace that sacrifice through the Old Testament that the people of God were to look at that and look at that and look at that. Every sacrifice, every time they went to the temple and they were to see that something was happening for them that they could not do for themselves. And when John the Baptist, and I get amazed at the way we do things sometimes. You know, old John probably wouldn't have got to preach in our churches. Clothing of camel hair. Who wants to smell a camel? Probably down to his knees. Sandals he had made. Beard hair. I got up this morning. and I showered and I dried off. and 
I went into the bathroom and I took some bedhead and put it over my foreheads and got them combed just right and sprayed so that I would look as best as I could appear before you. I said, John, he just got out of bed and did one of those numbers. He ate locusts and honey. I like the honey part. I'm not quite sold on the locusts. But he came as a prophet preaching to the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious in Israel. Kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Turn around. Come back to God. Church, come back to God today. Lost person, come to Jesus today. And Jesus was walking toward him. John saw him. And he cried out, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus was baptized. When he went to the cross, it was in prophetic fulfillment of what John said, of what every lamb that had been slain was about. It was the Son of the living God, once and for all, shedding his blood as the mercy seat for you and for me. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And speaking of everything that the Pharisee and the publicans saw in their worship experience, in Hebrews 9 verse 6, the Bible says, The preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties. But into the second only the high priest goes. And he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates the way into the holy places is not yet open as long as the first section is still standing. But verse 11 says, but, see that, that but in the Bible, there's an altar, alternative coming. There's something different. There's a corner we're about to turn. It's not the humdrum of over and over and over and over. And am I right? Did I do this right? Am I this? Am I that? But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats, sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer, sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our consciousness from dead works to serve the living God? And that's why Paul could write that Jesus, God displayed publicly as a mercy seat in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness. You want to be righteous before God? Come to Jesus. Give him your life. Embrace him as God's mercy seat.
The shedding of his blood at the cross of Calvary was for you and for me. He himself is our mercy seat for our sins and not ours only, but also for those of the whole world. So John wrote in 1 John 2 too. And that's what I'm asking you to do. In this room, some of you are standing in your heart far off. You're gazing, but you're in this place and you're longing. Is it true that I can have that peace with God in my heart? Yes, it's true. Come to Jesus. Would you do that today? Would you bow your head with me, please? While our heads are bowed and eyes closed, I I want to help you as much as I can. I'm asking you to come to Jesus today. And you may have all these church credentials like I had and like my wife had in her denomination. But you've not come to Jesus. You're trying to get there, but you're trying to get there on your own. And God wants to give you grace, which is the only way. We're saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves, lest any should boast. So if you're in this room and you've never trusted Jesus, I want to help you pray that same prayer that publican prayed. I'll expand it a little bit for clarification. But if this is your heart cry to God, you pray it with me. Oh God. Be to me a mercy seat. I believe Jesus died on the cross in my place for my sin. And today I believe in my heart that you raised him from the dead. And I will confess him. I agree with you that he is Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Cover my sin. Give me the strength of the Holy Spirit to start a new direction toward you and to live for you, trusting you. And by faith, I receive you as my Lord and Master. If you prayed that simple prayer with me or that was... What your desire is before God, I want to pray for you and I want you to get up out of your seat. I'm not going to ask you to lift your hand, but in a moment when we stand to sing, I'm going to ask you to get up out of your seat and come to Blake here at the front and just say, I'm trusting Jesus today. I'm trusting Jesus. He'll know exactly how to help you. You say, why do you ask me to come forward? You need to come out of hiding. You need to identify yourself so that you can be a part of this larger body of believers. It's one thing to be a part of the church. It's something else to be a part of the body of Christ. And so when you identify yourself, you're saying, I want to walk a different road. I want to get on that narrow road that Jesus talked about. And I want to walk for Him. And I want to walk with brothers and sisters. And I want to do these things, but I want to do them right. Identify yourself and come. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray today that your will be done in every life in this room. 
We ask it for your glory and your honor. Amen. Let's stand. Will you come to Jesus? Come to Jesus, whoever you are. Whatever the issues, you step out and you come right now while we sing.